if Biden came out and said, we have the answers, this is what they are, this is what our intelligence community has assessed, here are the answers. Do you think Republicans are gonna be like, all right, cool, we're good now. Welcome to the Powers That Be Daily, Puck's podcast focused on the intersection of Wall Street, Washington, Silicon Valley, and Hollywood, and the players who run it all. I'm Peter Hamby. It's Friday, February 17th. Today, Julia Yaffe is here with the latest on UFOs. No, it's not an alien invasion, but since that Chinese balloon crossed into US airspace, we've been shooting something out of the sky. Julia explains why it's taking so long to figure out what exactly those objects are. And later, Tina Wynn chats with Ben Landy about how Ron DeSantis has been flirting with an arcane constitutional theory as a means to dog whistle to Trump's far right base. We'll hear about all that and more on today's episode of The Powers That Be. Are you tired of sleeping hotter than hell? I sure am. I sleep hot. There's something crucial about sleep that eludes us when we're too warm, too uncomfortable, and too caught in the web of our own thoughts to drift off. And while curiosity fuels our days, science tells us that cool sleep recharges our nights. That's where Chili Pad by Sleep Me comes in. Meet the bed cooling system that elevates the quality of human life through cool sleep. The Chili Pad bed cooling system is your new bedtime solution. I love it. It lets you customize your sleeping environment to your optimal temperature, ensuring you fall asleep, stay asleep, and wake up refreshed. Chili Pad works with your existing mattress. It's a water-based mattress topper that continuously controls your bed temperature from 55 to 115 degrees, allowing your body to rest and recover. This isn't just about escaping the heat, it's also about optimizing your sleep for better health, more energy, and improved physical and cognitive performance, which I obviously need hosting a podcast. Chili pads are designed for one or two sleepers, so if your sleep partner likes to sleep at a different temperature, or you only need it for one side of the bed, that's okay too, and we know that's crucial. Plus, you can schedule automated temperature changes to trigger deep sleep. But when I'm at home, Chili Pad solves those problems. So trust me on this one. Visit sleep.me slash powers to get your chili pad and save up to $315 with code powers. This offer is available exclusively for powers that be listeners and only for a limited time. Order it today with free shipping and try it out for 30 days. You can return it for free if you don't like it with their sleep trial. Visit www.sleep.com dot me slash powers because you're not just investing in better sleep you're creating a better life happy friday everyone earlier this week a bunch of senators had a private intelligence briefing about these ufos which still seem to be unidentified or half identified or somewhat identified so i don't know if we can call them ufos and emerged from that meeting with not a lot of answers i'm joined today by julia yaffe to talk about some of the stuff. Julia, we talked about this last week. Um, you know, they shot down a UFO. This is after the Chinese balloon. Shot one down over Alaska. Shot something down over the Yukon. Shot something down over Lake Huron. Still don't totally know what these were, other than the White House swears they're not alien invaders. Is there any update on what these things were? <laughs> so somebody who was in that briefing told me this afternoon that it was just completely underwhelming and that the balloons were probably commercial slash research 
vehicles mm-hmm. and that the Biden administration, in this person's words, was just overcorrecting. Even though people in the administration and close to the administration vociferously denied this to me, my sense was the Chinese spy balloon floats in to the Continental 48 and Republicans go apeshit and they're like, China Joe is weak on China. Why doesn't he blast this thing out of the sky fucking immediately? Who cares if it goes through somebody's roof? And now it's like, okay, well, let's let's move faster on these things. We got to catch more. We got to look stronger. But now they're kind of, they've gone too far in the other direction. Mm-hmm. And other people have written about this, that they've kind of, they, they've opened the parameters more, right? So they're now scanning, not just for things that move very fast, very high, but they're also looking at things that move very slow, very low. And unlike the Chinese spy balloon, which was flying at 60,000 feet, which is double the altitude of commercial aviation, this one, some of these were flying at or about where um, commercial jets fly, Mm -hmm. but also maybe they were near uh, military installations, which I'm like, I literally asked, which one is it? And they're like, oh, both. But anyway, so um, I don't know. To me, it just feels like the person in the briefing said, like an overcorrection, an overreaction. Mm -hmm. And it just feels kind of panicky and over the top. And it's not a great look. And it doesn't seem like the administration feels really good about it. They're trying to put a good look on it. But you can tell that they're super stressed out about it. Apparently, the weekend at the White House was hell on wheels. And Oh, really? Yeah. What, what does that mean? Like, they were all in the White House all weekend being like, what do we do with these things? <laughs> so, I mean, there is a bit of a Washington parlor game going on here where Republicans are mad Biden didn't shoot the balloon down sooner, the Chinese balloon. Um, now they're mad and they want answers. As they, after he did, after shoot, he did them shoot the balloon down. It's almost like it's not about the balloon. It's like whoever's in charge, you have to criticize them. You have to say that what they're doing is wrong. Yeah, well, so there's that. And I think us excluded, obviously, but I think there's an impulse on the part of the press to demand answers immediately. Like, we need you to explain what's going on. And I read I read a quote, I think, in a Politico piece. I think Chris Murphy, actually, from Connecticut, said this. And I kind of like the quote. He was like, you know, I think the president is still kind of figuring out what's going on, and we should probably let him get all the answers before he addresses the nation, which is like, yeah, no shit. But, like, politics doesn't work that way. You know, you have... Mitch McConnell and John Kennedy out there saying like, we need more answers. Tom Cotton saying he needs to address the nation immediately. I mean, you know, the president can't win in a situation like this. Well, because they don't actually want the answers, right? It's about grandstanding and talking points and positioning yourself perpendicular to the president of the opposite party. Because if Biden came out tomorrow and said, we have the answers. This is what they are. This is what our intelligence community has assessed. We've retrieved all the stuff from the barren wilderness of the Yukon. We now know 100% what they are. Here here are the answers. Mm-hmm. Do you think Republicans are going to be like, all right, cool. We're good now. <laughs> no, of course not. It <laughs> no, me, you know what then it it's going to be like, like, what are you doing about it? This is a deep cut, but it reminded me of back in 2009, Obama was president. He was just president. It was like March 2009, height of the financial crisis. And AIG just revealed that they gave hundreds of millions of dollars in bonuses to their financial services employees after taking like some huge bailout. What was the bailout for AIG? Like $200 billion or something bananas. 
And then Ed Henry, who was at CNN at the time where I worked and now went on to Fox and then left Fox. But he like got into this exchange with Obama and Obama flashed some anger. And I kind of like took Obama's side on this. Ed Henry, I just looked it up. He like asked the president in a, in a briefing, why did you wait so many days to express outrage over these bonuses? Which is just such a process peacocking question. And then Obama responded and just glared at him. And he goes, because I like to know what I'm talking about before I speak. <laughs> and, you know, whether the Biden administration kind of fucked yeah. up and shot down a bunch of commercial low-flying aerial objects and is still trying to figure out the mess before they speak, or they did the right thing, or they have some yeah. secret information they can't share, I don't know. I guess I trust Joe Biden and Barack Obama more than Donald Trump on this stuff. And like, maybe he should be allowed to wait a few days to speak. Well, here's the thing. It's not Joe Biden alone doing this too. He sits atop a massive bureaucracy mm -hmm. exactly. and the wreckage of... Three out of three of these balloons that were shot down just a couple days ago, we're taping on Tuesday night, mm -hmm. have still not been retrieved. Mm -hmm. They're either on ice that's really hard to get out to, or they're in, you know, it's like when they describe where it is, I was like, oh, this is like the plot of Hatchet, you know? <laughs> like you <laughs> and then once they get it, you have, to you have to analyze it, and then you have to write your reports, and then you have to kick it up the chain, and then it has to... Then the president has to get briefed on it. Then they have to figure out what to do about it. This all takes time. It has to go through the interagency process, mm -hmm. which is what they set up over the weekend, right? Biden said, okay, let's set up like a task force essentially to deal with these unidentified flying objects and figure out how to how to better deal with them, which is also just such a Washington response. Like, never miss an opportunity to form a blue rib ribbon commission. It's like, you know, in Life of Brian, where the People's Front of Judea is like, we just, we never do anything. We just sit around and <laughs> and pass resolutions without doing anything. We have to do more. We have to take more action. Right. New resolution. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I haven't seen that since high school, but good memory. Yeah. Um, you also raise an important point, too, which is, some of the wreckage from these things is in brutally cold conditions in Alaska. And really hard to get to places. Like, it's not like off of I-95. One of them is just out in the middle of a frozen, on top of a frozen lake. And like, how do you get out there and while being sure you won't fall through the ice? I don't know. It's it, These are, got to do it right. Mm -hmm. But also what I'm hearing is that the White House is going to kind of back away from this shooting bottles off the fence approach. I think they're realizing that it's kind of not a great look and it's confusing to people and it just creates more questions than answers. And each one is a story is a separate storyline. And if you don't immediately have answers, then it's like, is Joe Biden weak on China? Is Joe Biden weak on aviation security? Why is Joe Biden soft on aliens? Exactly. It could be. <laughs> One person I talked to is like, you know, there's also an enforcement issue here. Like, you know, these things are supposed to be registered with the FAA. Why aren't balloons? These balloons aren't being registered with the FAA. And I was like, who who runs the balloon desk at the FAA? <laughs> uh, that's your next book. I mean, it does nope. seem like the most logical explanation here is the thing that's buried in like the 10th paragraph of every story about this, which is after the Chinese balloon incident, NORAD turned up the sensitivity on their radar systems and we're just catching more stuff. And it's krill. I mean, it's, it's basically like that krill. seems like the most logical thing that happened, which is a boring, clumsy sort of answer, but it's, it sounds true. They've said it a bunch of times. We kind of opened up the filters. 
Mm-hmm. We reset the filters and, and we're catching essentially more krill. Julia, thank you so much for your insight. This was a great episode. We uh, managed to weave in the life of Brian, an AIG reference, and krill. So thank you for that. <laughs> Thanks, Peter. When we come back, Tina Wynn talks to Ben about how Ron DeSantis is winking at Donald Trump's base. Welcome back. I'm Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck, here with Tina Wynn. Happy Friday, Tina. My mind still thinks it's Thursday. Hello, future. So, Tina, with the entry of Nikki Haley in the 2024 race this week, I've been thinking a lot about the primary field electoral math for these more establishment-friendly GOP candidates who are expected to get into the running. I'm thinking about Haley, of course, Tim Scott, Glenn Youngkin, you know, maybe Mike Pompeo goes into that category. The challenge for all of them is that There's a majority of Republicans who seem like they're ready to move on from Trump. At the same time, he does have this stranglehold over, call it 30 percent of the base. And so if you're trying to distinguish yourself from Trump as more palatable to the business community or suburban women or whatever it is, you still have to be thinking about how to sort of wink at some of these more hardcore elements of the party. I'm not sure that Haley has credibility there, but Ron DeSantis, whatever else you might think about his politics, has been pretty good about that. He's been strategic. He's been successful at positioning himself in between these two polls. And you've been doing some reporting on this in the past week. So I wanted to bring you in to talk about this. How exactly is DeSantis sort of genuflecting toward the conservative grassroots and the activists to earn their trust? Mm. It's a confusing web of conservative obscuria, um, but I'll do my best. It's all deep cuts, mostly skips, but, you know, they're very important to the whole of the DeSantis presidential 2024 album, as it were. <laughs> so what DeSantis is doing is he's identifying these groups, these uh, interest groups, think tanks, movements that are intellectual, but also rather reactionary and anti big government, anti-liberal culture, what have you. And he is either adapting or supporting positions that they've taken or building pretty close connections with these groups. Uh, So the most famous one that most uh, readers of Puck will remember immediately is the Claremont Institute. I've talked about them so many times on this podcast, but he has... uh, recently seized control of a state-run liberal arts college in Florida, the new College of Florida, I believe it's called, and he got rid of the board and replaced it all with people who are affiliated with the Claremont Institute and want to implement this uh, classical education that reads the ancient works of Plato and Socrates and thinks about the primacy of the founding fathers and what is good governance But basically, it boils down to we want education that does not cave to the woke agenda and anything that acknowledges like multiculturalism or relationships that exist outside of the like heteronormative spectrum. So there's one block he's nodded towards. And another one that I just wrote about for Puck is this uh, movement called the Article 5 Convention of States Project, this uh faction is just considered super controversial and very weird. But 
The goal of this fringe group, which was founded in the early Tea Party, is to use a provision of the Constitution in Article 5 to call a uh, convention of states by getting about three-fourths, I believe, of state legislatures across the country to like raise their hands on lingo. Hey, we want to propose an amendment to the Constitution. And then they debate it, and they vote on it. And if it passes, boom, you've got a new amendment to the Constitution. This has never, ever, ever been done before. All the amendments to the Constitution have been debated in Congress and then put out a vote to the people. It's on the more extreme end of things, but there's this group that's been airing a DeSantis endorsement of that project, in Idaho, where the state's currently trying to pass their own resolution calling for a convention. Florida's already called for one. Maybe about like 15 to 19 other states have called for one by now. It's really under the radar because no one thinks it's ever going to happen. But basically, this is a really good dog whistle for DeSantis to ally himself with this theory, this movement that is like a very legally sanctioned, constitutionally questionable, but not impossible interpretation of the Constitution. And that's sort of the DeSantis way. He's a lawyer by practice, and he just like looks at it and goes, all right, what exactly can I do with the constraints of the laws placed on me? What is something I can push? Where is it... Where is the law firm on this and where is it that's a little soft and I can like try to go as far as I can? Will the court stop me? I don't know. We're just going to figure it out. So that's why you see DeSantis pulling a lot of these maneuvers in terms of like firing state employees for going against his policies, whatever he's doing with Disney at the moment, whatever he's doing with state curriculums at the moment. Is it unpalatable to a large percentage of the Republican electorate? Who knows? It's certainly popular in Florida. Yeah, one of the things I thought was most interesting in your reporting was this notion that DeSantis, who graduated from Harvard Law in 2005, is sort of the perfect avatar for this conservative movement that you were describing that's become really fixated recently on legal remedies to political and culture war issues. I mean, this is not new. Obviously, Republicans have been doing this for a long time. Democrats Democrats have been doing this for the longest time. Absolutely. I mean, I was going to say, you know, Donald Trump opened the door to this in some ways by being more aggressive and pushing the envelope legally with executive actions that were then overturned. But of course, Obama did this, too. I mean, you know, DACA was it was a big, important executive action um, mm-hmm. that where he made a move to protect the the dreamers that ultimately was sort of half rescinded by the courts. Um, it, it did not really pass legal muster. But Trump was always getting swatted down for his legal adventurism. And I wonder if part of the excitement around DeSantis and some of the fear on the left is that this is a guy who's a little bit smarter, he's a little bit more competent. He could actually leverage the legal code and state power in a more muscular way, like he has in Florida when he went after Disney, whereas he's gone after education policy, like you mentioned. Mm, yeah, that's definitely true. And I have to say, the fact that he's allied with these think tanks, like the Claremont Institute, is quite telling. The Claremont Institute is where John Eastman came from, the lawyer who allied with Trump. Eastman, if you recall, is the guy who advised the Trump administration on how to challenge the results of the 2020 election by coming up with this cockamamie theory to get Mike Pence to declare the counting of the Electoral College votes invalid. So the Claremont Institute has a... um, entity called the Center for Constitutional Jurisprudence. And they bring on like all of these bright 
lawyers, young lawyers on as fellows, and they do research and file amici briefs and cases through the courts to challenge pretty much any sort of liberal doctrine that they can via the uh, appellate system. And having them allied with DeSantis, who has basically decided to use executive power to push this vision forward and seeing exactly where the courts will or won't stop him, they have to be, I imagine that they're really excited about having this guy on board with them. And actually, to wrap this all up, after uh, the DeSantis administration announced their projects to create the new Hillsdale of the South, the Claremont Institute releases this statement going, we're applauding your strong and brave leadership, Governor DeSantis. Yeah, we'll see how meaningful these genuflections towards the um, academic fringe of the GOP matters in the long run, uh, what kind of credibility that gives him. I mean, and I wonder with DeSantis and this Article 5 issue, it, it does seem like it's a little bit more complicated. Do you get the sense that this term limits issue, which he was pushing there, uh, is actually something he cares about? Or is this just a safe way to engage with this slightly fringy aspect of the GOP uh, that does want to rewrite the Constitution? Or is it a little bit of both? He's been pushing the term limit amendment for a while, but the last time I think he did it was when he was in Congress, and he and Ted Cruz put together an amendment and tried to do it through Congress. I think term limits are very popular. Putting term limits on Congress is a pretty popular position in the U.S. I don't think anyone's really going to have a problem with that. I think the idea that you can use Article 5 in order to do it opens up this highly controversial can of worms on the right. I think there was a, a heritage scholar that was like, look, no one has ever tested how far this could go. You could use this for the most illiberal things possible. You could... There are groups out there that want to use this to uh, rewrite the Commerce Clause. Uh, they want to like repeal the tax code and have the states be able to reject laws passed down by Congress. Like You could go pretty far with an Article 5 uh, convention of states if you decided to go sicko mode. It's not so much that he wants to place term limits. It's the mechanism in order to get term limits passed is the questionable thing. Yeah, well, without getting into the merits of that particular argument, or, or even whether this is likely to happen, and it sounds like probably a long shot, it does point to the sort of selling point for DeSantis among people who are excited about his candidacy, that he's the guy who can theoretically reassure the Republican business community with his law degree, while also using his legal background to rile up the MAGA base with these culture war red meat issues. Tina, thanks as always for stopping by and talking about it with us. Thanks so much for listening to another episode of The Powers That Be. As a reminder, The Powers That Be is the official podcast of Puck. We'd like to thank Ben Landy, Liz Goff, and Alex Bigler for their editorial and production guidance. If you like what you hear, please share with a friend. It really helps us keep delivering the inside scoop that only Puck can offer. Follow us on Twitter at Puck News. I'm Peter Hamby. See you next week. This has been a presentation of Cadence 13 Studios. Please listen, rate, review, and follow all episodes wherever you get your podcasts. The Powers That Be Daily is executive produced by John Kelly, co-founder of Puck, Chris Corcoran, chief content officer and founding partner of Cadence 13, and produced by Ben Landy, executive editor at Puck. Puck.